the vampires of New York. <laughs> Come lose your mind in Central Park. <laughs> But don't leave your soul behind. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication, and if you are listening to this, you are listening to a quasi-bonus edition of my review of King's 2003 short story publication, Everything's Eventual. For fans of The Dark Tower, you were certainly thrilled when this collection came out and realized that it not only included one, but two stories pertaining to The Dark Tower, one of which starring the gunslinger himself. I know that this certainly perked my interest. So rather than talking around Dark Tower spoilers in the Everything's Eventual review, I decided to review The Little Sisters of Eloria and Everything's Eventual, the short story, right here so I can get into much more detail and see how these two stories fit into the greater Dark Tower mythos, especially now that the end of the Dark Tower is finally in sight. Just to back us up a little bit and get us ready for the next month or so, at the time of publication of Everything's Eventual, King had announced not one, not two, but three Dark Tower books. And they aren't just three Dark Tower books, but they're the final three Dark Tower books. For f all of us fans who waited in anticipation for any news on an upcoming Dark Tower book, this was an unexpected and massive treat. This was King committing himself to finishing the story he'd begun so many years before. And not only was he finally going to finish the books, but he was also going to re-release The Gunslinger with added pages and a revision to make it more consistent with the world he'd built between the drawing of the three and Wizard and Glass, as well as Insomnia, Hearts in Atlantis, and Black House. So, King was fully immersed in the world of the Dark Tower to the point where ideas were just spilling out of his head that had to be contained wherever he could find them, like here in this collection of short stories. Now, with that said, Little Sisters of Aluria was published first in 1998, I believe, but that's still hot on the heels of the incredible Wizard in Glass. And after having just finished reading Black House, it made me want to reread Little Sisters that much more because Eloria is visited within the pages of the sequel to The Talisman. But before I get into the review itself, let me read a listener email, this one from Strauss Monkey. Hey CR, thanks for responding. I'll keep this short. I'm pretty confident about the Barlow point about not being invited in. Um, in the previous uh, email from Strauss Monkey, um, he had issue with the fact that in Salem's Lot, Barlow could just, he just barged into the kitchen, and I argued that maybe because he was a different type of vampire, he was a type 1, type 1s maybe don't need um, invitation. So he writes, I now listen to about 75% of your episodes and cannot wait until you get into some of the upcoming books, namely Rose Matter, Black House, and the remaining Dark Tower tomes. 
Also, I listened to the Halloween episode. Great interaction between you and your cohorts. Very laid back and fun, and extremely interesting, as are all your episodes. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Whether I agree with your analysis or not, I always enjoy hearing your viewpoints. Though Fran's baby being the Crimson King, I need to hear that line of reasoning more clearly. Okay, so I... When I first read this particular part of the email, I... Uh, I don't know, like, my heart kind of skipped a beat for a moment because I was immediately concerned that if Strauss Monkey... It, 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 if he... Okay, so just to back up... In my review of The Stand, I just kind of riffed a little bit, and I, I just to be honest, I was getting a little bored as I was rereading The Stand for the fourth, fifth, or sixth time, whatever it was, and I was just, at one of those points, just to give you just a little bit of context here, there are times when I am fully into this podcast, and there are times where I just, I feel like bashing my head uh, against the wall. Um... You know, so that it goes in ebbs and flows. Just to be perfectly honest, because uh, it, it, it it can just get it can get very tiresome. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But I was feeling one of those moments as I was reviewing the um, the stand review, and I caught I got this one I got to this one part where it just it was about Fran and she was talking about her baby, and I just kind of decided to be a little bit of an ass, and I just went on this this spiel about. The, the just the the words and the connotations within the the imagery there and all all that it was I, I just it was a joke I was just joking that Fran eating at Dairy Queen was evidence that that uh, Fran is clearly the the mother of the Stephen King uber villain the Crimson King by no means was I being serious I was just being it was just the 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 childish English major in me uh, who was just going for deep analysis on stuff that was is not there in the text to support the analysis myself uh, itself. So, I mean, it was like one time I was in college and we were sitting around. This is just when I was just steeped in literature and liter literary analysis. Um, as many of you who are English majors, I'm sure that you will be able to, uh, um, to relate to. And my roommates and I, we were sitting around watching television and Everybody Loves Raymond was on and I was just kind of venting about how sick I was of having to look for deeper meaning everywhere. And just to prove my point, I just started giving an analytical commentary to everything that was occurring within Everybody Loves Raymond. And none of it was there, you know, but it was just showing what the life of an English major is like. And basically, I don't, I don't remember what the, the point I was making is that it's something about like how Deborah was withholding. She was a withholding person and withholding her love. And just on and on, she dumps water, ergo, she's dumping the life that she has built with Raymond. And it just, it just kind of went on and on from there. It was a good 10 minutes where I was just supporting this, this stupid asinine theory that I, I had argued. And I did the same thing here with the stand. So, no, the Crimson King is not Fran Goldsmith's baby. I, I am not, and, and the fact that it's it's at Dairy Queen, I, I am not saying that it is connected to it because dairy and dairy I'm, I'm not it was just it was me being just kind of a jerk so um guys if you if there have been any questions about whether or not that was a joke it was it was just a joke um so he continues to write uh keep up the excellent work you have caused me so much thinking to occur in my uh 
head that I have begun rereading books I haven't thought of in decades, Insomnia, The Tommyknockers, um, The Dark Half, The Talisman, and your wonderful insights to the Dark Tower. I'm proud to be a tower junkie. Um, listen, it's been great getting to know you through the great work of Mr. King. Um, incidentally, I have a typed postcard from him dated 32980. actually typed and signed in ink. I had written to him and told him I read Salem's Lot so many times and passed it to so many people, I had to buy another copy. His postcard says, Dear David, thank you so much for buying not one but two copies of Salem's Lot and for being such a loyal reader. Be well. And then his signature. That is, that is pretty awesome. So, thanks for letting me ramble. And before I forget, I didn't see the Beverly Marsh scene at the end of It the same way you did at all. I took it as the white giving Beverly the power to calm everyone back down and refocus. They were all panicking. Eddie's bump of direction was totally failing him. Richie and Ben were crying. They were lost, desperate, and terrified. Beverly took over and shocked them back right here and now in the only way she could think of. She focused them personally, one at a time, and afterward they were able to go forward again. I didn't get any flavor of rape or gangbang at all. I took it as a very tender moment when one of the losers gave everything for the others. They all took turns giving their all. If that's not a grammatical Mobius strip, just my thoughts. I was going to keep this short, but I'm so pleased you responded. I will definitely write again. Um, I am now a confirmed ambassador for your podcast. Thank you. Um, P.S. And the musical choices are absolutely excellent. Often funny, always spot on. Great job. Strauss Monkey, as always, thank you for writing in. Um, I, I love your feedback. I love uh, hearing your thoughts. So um, you know, feel free to, to write in when, whenever the urge strikes you. Um, and, and thank you. Know, I mean, you're not the only one that has written in about the, the ending of It, um, but I still stand by my guns. Um, it bothers me, that ending. Um, I don't like that particular ending of the book. I think that it still is completely misguided. Um, and uh, it's just one of those areas where I think that we're going to have to uh, agree to disagree, which is fine because that that's the whole point of this podcast. All right, guys. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to get into my review of Little Sisters of Eluria. So first I'm going to read the Wikipedia summary so I will have a basis upon which I can build my analysis. The tale features Roland of Gilead, whose quest for the Dark Tower is in its infancy. Its events precede those of the body of the Dark Tower cycle, but occur after Roland's experiences in Mehis, as chronicled in the Dark Tower 4 Wizard in Glass. At the time of telling, he is accompanied by a horse and is already following Walter O'Dim, the Man in Black. He plans to eventually buy another horse, or perhaps a mule, which ties in with the events of the beginning of the Dark Tower, the Gunslinger. Roland and his horse arrive at a deserted village, Eluria, where they encounter a feral dog bearing a cross-shaped spot in its fur attempting to eat a dead body. Roland scares it off, and while looking over the corpse, finds a rectangular medallion. Roland takes it and is immediately attacked and rendered unconscious by a group of slow mutants. He later awakens in a hospital marquee run by a strange group of nuns. Calling themselves the Little Sisters, they use tiny bug-like creatures they call doctors to heal his severe injuries. Roland slowly discovers the sisters are actually vampires who bring stray survivors back to their hospital only to feed on them once they've recovered. 
The medallion Roland took from the dead body in the village proves to be a sort of holy protection from them. He notices another patient next to him who bears a matching medallion, and Roland comes to learn that the dead man whose medallion... <laughs> okay, I'm gonna interrupt you guys right there. So, a few years ago, um, on VH1, there was a reality show called um, The Pickup Artist and that revolved around Mystery, the, the world-renowned pickup artist who he, he wrote a book and... You know, the whole shtick was he got, um, quote-unquote, people, just guys that could never pick up a girl, that, you know, you're kind of nerds, outcasts, whatever. And he taught them how to have confidence and just the little tips and techniques that you could just go anywhere and just build a conversation and, quote-unquote, pick up a girl. But <laughs> it had all the affectations of a reality show, um, and at the end of of every episode he I, I think that you were you were trying to to win um the, the grand prize of every episode was you won the medallion and the way that mystery said it it was medallion and it was just so so serious and i so just reading this wikipedia summary hearing it again and again and again all that i'm having is just flashbacks of mystery with a felt top hat and goggles around his neck and just if just type if if you have a spare time um see if there's any clips on on youtube and or just google mystery pickup artist and you'll you'll know exactly what i'm talking about i don't know where i left off uh <laughs> The, the medallion Roland took from the dead body in the village proves to be a holy sort of protection from them. He notices another patient next to him who bears a matching medallion, and Roland comes to learn that the dead man whose medallion he removed is the brother of the fellow patient. Roland's wounds are eventually healed, but he is powerless to escape from his malevolent benefactors who keep him weakened with potions. One of the sisters, Sister Jenna, reveals to Roland that she had involuntarily joined the others and longs to leave them. She sneaks a dose of the powerful herb to Roland, which counteracts the weakened potions, and he slowly regains his strength until they are ready to escape. The sisters bring one of the mutants to the hospital to remove the medallions from Roland and the patient next to him, since the sisters are unable to touch the medallions themselves. The mutant realizes the sisters will most likely kill him after he has removed the medallions, so he removes the medallion from the patient's neck to Roland and slashes the patient's neck open. The sight of the gushing blood incites the sisters into a feeding, feeding frenzy, allowing the mutant to escape and Roland to retain his medallion. For Christ's sake! The next night, Roland and Sister Jenna initiate their escape, but the other sisters try to stop them. Sister Jenna reveals, uh, reveals an ability to command the doctors who provide a diversion. Their leader, Great Sister Mary, soon catches up with them but is attacked and killed by the same cross-bearing dog first encountered in the story. Roland and Sister Jenna declare love for each other, but Jenna disintegrates into what may have been her natural state, the tiny doctors, while Roland is asleep. Roland allows himself a moment of sorrow before his quest for Walter, and ultimately the tower continues, once again, quite alone. So analysis. Um, it is just so interesting and fun to revisit Roland before he came, um, you know, more to life uh, and, and kind of bloomed after drawing his quartet into the world. You know, one thing that King managed to do quite well in the later books was dispel the image uh, that, that Roland was comfortable being by himself. And that is just certainly not the case. 
With what we know about Roland, the guy hates it. He hates being alone. He might not be the most personable individual, but he thrives in the presence of others and respects relationships, whether they be with his cotet or in this case, his horse, Topsy. Just one more victim that takes him closer to the tower. He shows the horse respect as it inches closer to death. The story takes Roland to the deserted village of Iluria, and there's so much fun to be had in watching our favorite character try to solve the mystery of what had occurred. More than any other Dark Tower entry so far, um, this one truly feels like a horror story. And later on, after the conclusion of the Dark Tower, King will also release Wind Through the Keyhole, which is a series of stories within stories, and the story that Roland tells to his quartet of the Skin Man, which takes place after the events of uh, Wizard and Glass, but before the events here of Little Sisters of Valoria, is even more of a horror story than this. He wanders through the empty town, discovers the dog, and demonstrates his appreciation for life. The thought of killing the dog, as King writes, hurt his heart. And just as he decides to bury the body of the boy he finds in the street, he's set upon by slow mutants known round these parts as green men. This was a pleasant surprise because the slow mutants were such a memorable part of the gunslinger, and they haven't been spotted since. It's a very fun scene that shows Roland, a little younger, a little more vulnerable. His instincts hadn't become as finely tuned as they would in later books, as the slow mutants are able to get the drop on him. I said a little while ago this feels like a horror story. With this scene, it specifically feels like a zombie story. Before Roland knows it, there's 30 green-skinned slow mutants pouring through the streets to get to him, and it's awesome. And without the killer's instincts, they manage to overpower him. And when he awakens, he finds himself in the care of the sisters, in the pavilion. Jenna's voice conjures Susan, whose tragic end has been chronicled in Wizarding Glass. And Jenna is joined by the other sisters who conjure not Susan, but Rhea. The sisters immediately send unease through the reader. There's clearly something wrong with them, and we can't wait to figure out what it is. And what Roland sees moving below another patient's shirt, which are revealed to be healing insects known as the Doctors. Through a conversation with one of the sisters, we get a sense of the hierarchy. And when he speaks with a young boy in the bed next to him, the boy reveals that the sisters aren't human at all. The mystery deepens as the boy explains that the other patients would be covered with the bugs, get better, and disappear. The sisters return and Roland overhears them speaking in the language of the dead, using the exact same phrases heard in Desperation and most recently Black House. During this scene, Roland heard them feeding on a patient and he understands what they are. Jenna later intervenes to help Roland escape and she uses the doctors to eat one of the sisters. As she runs away with Roland under the kissing moon, she hints at a greater mythology which we'll never understand, which is fine with me. Just playing at its edges is more than enough because this isn't Roland's quest. It's just one of countless adventures he has had along the way. And knowing the true nature of Jenna and the dark bells and the rules of the sisterhood do not need to be known to be enjoyed by the reader. In the end, there's a brief struggle with Sister Mary. We've seen Roland take on demons, zombies, wizards, lobstrosities, robotic bears, haunted houses, sentient trains, witches, and now we get to see him face down a vampire. She is dispatched by Ka that comes in the form of the marked dog, and from there, he and Jenna escape, 
but it's not meant to be. And Roland is delivered another tragic romance as her essence spreads out among the little doctors. And with the adventures in of Aloria over, he continues his quest to find the men in black. So Stephen Kingisms, the first of which are vampires. Um, we have seen vampires as far back um, in, as Salem's Lot, but again in One More for the Road, in Popsy, in the Night Flyer. Uh, we will see the original vampires and their defeat in the squalid Dixie Pig in the final pages of the Dark Tower series. And then Easter Eggs, Black House. Um, so the in, in the pages of the Black House, as you'll know if you listen to the review, Eloria itself is mentioned, and we see this pavilion. Um, the Little Sisters are mentioned, this hospital is visited. And then the Little Doctors. Uh, the little doctors will be seen again, um, and they're not going to be referred to as the doctors. They're, they're going to be known more um, ubiquitous, ubiquitously known as grandfather fleas because they, they travel around, just a gross name, huh? But they just travel around the ancient, more powerful type 1 vampires that they're just monsters just monsters living um with these 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 bugs and what's really neat is that there's just a throwaway line and king's so good at this just with a throwaway line he just builds the mythology so well and there's just the 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 um the implication that the billy bumbler um is the natural enemy of the 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 grandfather fleas the little doctors that this animal was bred um, through nature or through the white, who knows, to be the, the natural predator of these vampiric bugs, which is awesome. Number three, Delane. The boy in the infirmary is from Delane, which is the setting for Eyes of the Dragon. Number four is Language of the Dead. The little sisters speak in the language of the dead, first heard in Desperation, but will be heard again in, um, or was heard again in Black House, and will just be heard throughout the rest of the, the Dark Tower series. So final thoughts on Aloria. Um, I would just love more stories like this. You know, and it's one of the reasons why I, I enjoy The Wind Through the Keyhole, because the, the story that we get... Um, the story that we get uh, with with Roland and Jamie DeCurry in Debaria as they're hunting the Skin Man, it, it's there are some great imagery moments of imagery in that particular story. I really enjoyed rereading that one, and he's able to just go into the the, the bigger um, history and and world building of Midworld that was really really fun. But I would just love to see. Just more adventures of Roland throughout his 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 life. I mean, you know, what happened in the time between he returns to Mayhees and the fall of Gilead, and what happens to what happens during that that time? What happens right before the Battle of Jericho Hill, or the moments right after the Battle of Jericho Hill? There's there's one there's one thing that has never been answered here, which kind of is a glaring error: is how did Roland? come to pursue the man in black i mean what's that all about i mean we know he needs to get to the tower but when did he say the man in black is going to lead me to the tower i'm going to find the man in black what was the interaction or what had he heard who set him on the path of the man in black what was the encounter that showed roland that that was his way to get to the tower that's never been explored. That's never been explained. So that's a story that, that needs to be told. Maybe it's through Rhea. 
maybe it's through Rhea. I would, I mean, and and that's something that will never be told. That was never told was what happens when when um, Roland meets up with Rhea again. Um, so I know that Stephen King has it in him. I mean, there are stories left untold. So I would love to see Roland go back to the world. Uh, or King go back to the world of, of the gunslinger and tell those untold stories because um, it would be amazing alright guys now I'm going to talk about everything's eventual the story is told in first person perspective by a 19 year old high school dropout Richard Dinky Earnshaw Dinky fatuously explains that he's got a good job now. He used to be a clerk at the Super Saver, where he worked with morons and was relentlessly bullied by an aggressive dimwit named Skipper. But now Skipper's dead, and Dinky's got a new job, where the main perks are that he gets his own house and his own car and virtually anything he's asked for, including CDs that have not been released yet. He also gets a small wad of cash each week, provided he doesn't look for the people who drop it through his mail slot and that he remembers to destroy it or throw away any more money left over at the end of the week. He gets rid of his excess change by dropping it down the gutter of his house, and he puts his bills in the garbage disposal each week. As it turns out, Dinky has a certain gift. He has the ability to mentally influence people by drawing complicated pictures or designs in a way that he does not completely understand. This is illustrated when he recalls that, as a child, he seemingly unknowingly used this ability to drive a dog to suicide that had tormented him on his way home from school. After Skipper humiliated him every day for years, Dinky makes the decision to use his power to kill Skipper, or more accurately, to make Skipper kill himself. Dinky is discovered by a man named Mr. Sharpton, who claims to work for the Trans Corporation, an organization that searches across the world for people with such talents. Dinky is recruited to kill very specific targets by emailing them these designs he creates on an Apple computer. He is, in return, given a life that seems ideal, complete with a house and other benefits. Mr. Sharpton tells Dinky that the other people, that the people he is ordered to kill are wicked, horrible criminals, and that the world is better off without them. For a time, Dinky is happy with his new position, living life in assembly-mindless bliss. However, when Dinky finds an article in the newspaper about one of the individuals whom he has killed, a seemingly innocent old newspaper columnist, he begins to feel guilty for what he has done. After researching more into his other victims, Dinky realizes that the Trans Corporation has been using him to assassinate political dissidents and alternative thinkers. As the story ends, he is planning his escape from the Trans Corporation, but not before sending one final email to Mr. Sharpton, his recruiter. Now this is a fun story that works on so many levels. It seems as though Dinky speaks for a lot of us. You know, aren't we all in some ways tethered to our little houses of comfort? He has the appearance of freedom, but he's clearly a slave to the Transcorp. And in some ways, we're not free at all. It's what I like about the fact that he gets $70 each week. It's 70. It's not 75. It's not 100. It's an it's enough and just a reminder that's all that you're getting. It's enough to remind him to remember his place in the grand scheme of things. As we learn the day-to-day -day facts of Dinky's existence, we suddenly need to understand why He's living this life, and we start to get those answers. How he first met Mr. Sharpton. King starts teasing the next mystery. What happened to Skip Brannigan? We learn about Dinky's power, which is a different take on the typical Stephen King paranormal ability. First, he's able to kill the flies, then the neighborhood dog, and then Skipper. 
He's recruited by Mr. Sharpton and begins his work for the Trans Corporation, and eventually he realizes he's been lied to and is now a mass murderer. He is then contacted by a friend who gives him directions on how to get out, but not before he types one last letter to the man who brought him into this. It's suggested that Dinky escapes. And maybe he does. Maybe he does, but it's definitely not for long because what happens is he runs right out of Transcorp and into the clutches of the Sombra Corporation. Um, Transcorp, it turns out, is an offshoot of um, Sombra, um, much in the way that North Central Positronics is an offshoot of, of Sombra. And the assassination, um, it's, it's, it's referred to as an assassination program. Um, and so he is, he is wound up uh, being taken, and he becomes one of the breakers in All Jewel Siento, where we will meet him again in the pages of the Dark Tower Book 7, The Dark Tower. So, guys, uh, Stephen Kingism's Dinky Earnshaw is 19 years old. The number 19 will soon have a lot of significance for the characters in the pages of The Dark Tower. Number two is Superpowers. This is not the first superpowered character that we have seen in a Stephen King work. Uh, we have seen Carrie White and Danny Torrance, Charlie McGee, Ted Brodigan, and others. Number three is Organization Using Psychics for Their Will. Uh, Transcorp is very reminiscent of the shop as seen in the Firestarter. And the bully. Um, King weaves a bully, this time Skip, in Adinky's past, and King has long since established um, the bully within his, his stories. And Easter eggs, I've already re referred to the Breakers, um, but also Golden Years. Dinky references watching a show called The Golden Years, and King winks at the audience by saying, you probably don't remember it. Uh, the Golden Years, for those of you who don't know, this is King's TV series that lasted only a few episodes. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a big episode. This is a big episode, ladies and gentlemen, because this is the last episode before I take my final steps towards the Dark Tower. So next week's episode is huge. It's huge because it is the beginning of the end as we make our way towards the concluding pages of Stephen King's magnum opus that he had started oh so many years before. So those of you who are fans of the Dark Tower series, rejoice because it's going to be an awesome three weeks. And uh, those of you who aren't too much fond of the Dark Tower, I do apologize, but it's not going to last forever, and we'll get back into our regularly scheduled program as soon as the Dark Tower is over. So everyone, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I will see you here next week where M-O-O-N spells Stephen Kingcast. If you go, I'm Step as you